right, good morning, folks. Um, of course, kids are dismissed if they want to head to the back. Today, we're starting a new series um, that I'm really excited about. Um, we're going to be marching through Isaiah 58 over a three-week period. Next week will actually be, um, as you'll see, not out of Isaiah 58. It'll be kind of a standalone because it's actually called Stand Sunday next week. Um, but I think, as you'll see, it fits in with this series to a T. Um, let's start with some prayer. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for giving us the chance to be here. Um, God, we pray that you help the message today be clear, help it to be um, honoring to you, help it to accurately convey uh, your truth to your people. God, we pray that we have open hearts and minds and willing hands and feet to be obedient, to follow you wherever you call us. We love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So, as you can see, the three major groups that we're going to be dealing with over this uh, series is serving, satisfaction, and the Sabbath. Um, there's so much I wish I could say, and I want to take the time to talk about you just don't have time when you do these things. So I hope this makes sense the way I want to start off. We, you know, we as people, we, can, we, we, have, we have our own tendencies and we have our own kind of defaults. And um, it's good to know those. It's good to be aware of those and to try to bring some, some balance, if you will, to our lives. And so we're going to be obviously focused on, on service today as an as a important thing, as a, a way that we need to make sure that out of all the different kinds of things that you could do or be as a Christian, right? This is, sermon is, is for Christians. Um, that needs to be a, a piece that you're about. It needs to be a piece that you do. And as we march through the scripture, I, I think we'll see um, there's a kind of a contrast we'll make between ritual and responsibility. And both of those things are significant. Both of those things are important. So don't hear me today if I talk about ritual. Don't hear that as like a, pejorative term because it's not supposed to be but that can't be the whole picture and as I was thinking about this I started thinking back to uh, some of our our past sermons that we've done recently where I, I had made mention of it's important that we are uh, well-rounded Christians if you will right we know the scripture says that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart soul mind and strength and it, it burdens me when I hear folks, this is what I said a few weeks ago, especially uh, men, fathers, and husbands um, say stuff about how they can't, they're not readers, or they don't, you know, they're not smart, or they're basically they're incapable uh, of loving the Lord with their mind. Um, because it's obviously not true. If you believe that, then you're not going to be able to fulfill the call that God has on your life. As I thought about that, and as I started kind of thinking about where to go in, in the beginning of Isaiah 58, I think that's the picture that we see when we look at the guys, the, the, the Jewish people that Isaiah is talking to. That we see a group of people who have a lot of good things going for them, right? But their, their relationship with the Lord, the way they live their faith, is, is really missing a lot of, of that balance. And they've become kind of lopsided. And... Uh, um, I, I want to, to, to kind of set the stage with that because while we're going to focus on service today, I think it is imperative for all of us as believers to continually ask the Lord and ourselves, 
Are we, are we really pursuing the Lord in all those different kind of areas that we need to be? Are we in an intimate relationship with Him where we, we're really surrendering the different aspects of our lives to Him? Because when we don't, sometimes there's, there's major um, consequences. And, and one of the things that, again, got me thinking about that is uh, there was a guy from Hillsong. A, they do a lot of music and we do a lot of their stuff here who back in the summer kind of put out this tweet that he was thinking about leaving the faith and all this kind of stuff. And um, I don't keep up with a lot of like kind of Christian pop culture type stuff. Um, so I was a little bit late to the game, but I just I sat there and I was reading through um, some of his tweets and it was it was heartbreaking because we've even sung some of the particular songs that this guy has helped write and they are powerful songs. And I started thinking, you know, I was thinking about balance um, in our Christian walk and really pursuing the Lord with all the different parts of who we are and all the different areas that he calls us to be obedient. And that that guy just kept popping up in my head um, because he says in, in his tweets, you know, he's got this list of questions, right? That no one's talking about or no one's answering. And the fact of the matter, you can find all this stuff online. The fact of the matter is those questions have been asked for thousands of years and there's a ton of really smart people out there who have spent decades studying and, and, and working out these problems and these issues. And, and so I, I'm not trying to to be hateful or mean or bash anybody. But when I sit back and I, I kind of look, and I don't know this guy, obviously, I think that can be an example of what happens to ourselves if we're not living a, a full life in obedience to the Lord. And we become really lopsided. You know, this guy, again, we sing some of his music. It is it's powerful. There's no doubt that he's had some kind of interaction with the Lord, you know. And... The fact that he's got all these questions where there are really good answers and he has spent... He's, I think I read that he's been part of, of Hillsong since he was 16. Um, that no one's talking about this stuff. There's, he has ignored a complete side of his faith for years upon years if what he's saying is true and all we can do is take somebody at their word. You know, and that's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking uh, to think that we can do that. Again, the Lord can move, the Lord can do good work, and we can follow Him with certain parts of who we are in certain areas of our lives, but the enemy is, is, is cunning. And, and those areas that we leave vulnerable or undeveloped is, is, uh, gives Him an opportunity to slip in there, and we have no, no way of, of handling that or, or dealing with that. So, um, today we're going to be in Isaiah like I said, chapter 58, and we're going to march through the first seven verses. A little bit of context for the book itself is obvious. Uh, it was written by Isaiah, who was a prophet. And the book itself is super significant. It is quoted over 65 times directly in the New Testament, and uh, Isaiah himself is referred to over 20 times. Um, is more than any other prophet from the Old Testament. So, this was a really, really important book to the people of the day, obviously, but then also to the, the New Testament and should also be important to us. The commentators divide the book up in a bunch of different ways. Some people split it into three kind of sections, five, all sorts of stuff. But what's really fascinating 
and kind of ties into some of the stuff we talked about last week, they all put this, um, this chapter that's at the end of the book into a category um, with a lot of kind of a positive connotation, right? They call it uh, comfort, blessing, and restoration. So as we read, you'll see that it starts with a, what seems like a pretty harsh rebuke, but I want to make sure that we're coming from it from that perspective, not from a, a negative thing. Because it's, 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 a beautiful, it's beautiful that the Lord doesn't leave us where we are. So let's jump in. It says, Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. So that's, that's God talking to Isaiah the prophet. The prophet's job was to go and, and be the mouthpiece for the Lord. So when it, thus saith the Lord. He is speaking on behalf of God, God's words to His people. All right? So that's God kind of telling Isaiah what to do. And now is God speaking, right? Speaking through Isaiah, verse 2. Yet they, talking about the people, they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. It's an interesting description. And then the people respond to God. We have fasted and you see it not. We have humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it. Behold, in the day of your fast, oh, this is God responding to them. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, that God chooses, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? For those of you who were here last week, hopefully some of those terms are kind of flashing back to you. Talking about a yoke. Talking about freedom. To loosen the bonds of wickedness. So here we see a people who genuinely care about God, right? They, they, they go to Him as if they're in a good relationship. They're missing something. They, they desire to know God. They desire good judgments from Him. And they're seeking Him. And then He responds, it's like, you guys are acting like everything's good here. But it's not. And then they respond with, you know, we're trying to do this stuff. We're trying to fast. We're trying to, to follow these rituals that we think you want us to do. But you're not, 
It's not being effective. It's not working, if you will. And then God draws this really powerful comparison between the ritualistic things that they're doing, particularly here, fasting. And then God says, well, the fast that I want you to do is this. And basically, it's to take care of the vulnerable, right? It's to serve. Um, This series will hopefully serve as a kind of a primer for what's to come. So as we wrap up November, uh, we're going to move into a Christmas series. And then after um, December's over, in January, we're going to jump into a, a mission vision series. You guys can see on that wall there, Encounter Unite Impact, those are the things that are, are valuable to us. Those are the things that are at the core of Heritage Fellowship. right? And serving is a huge piece of that. We want to make sure that, that, is a, that it, that's close to our heart because it seems like that's close to what the Lord wants. Right? He says that that is a fast. See, in this time, there was really only one fast that God required of the people. And then they were open. Well, they could do more fasting as they so chose, but there was one fast that they needed to do. And that's not what they're doing at this point. These are fasts they're initiating themselves. Again, which is fine. But God says, that's not the fast that I want. The fast that I want is to take care of the vulnerable. What's odd is that's not what a fast is, right? I mean, fasting is when you're depriving yourself of something, particularly food, right? And he said, well, no, don't do that. Feed the hungry and bring the homeless into your house. Uh, Cover those who are naked. Don't neglect your own. Loosen the, the, the bondage of people. Free the oppressed. Break every yoke. This is the fast that I want. So, I don't know what to do with that other than to say rituals are good, right? Um, family traditions can be really good. And, and if we are doing those things correctly, then they point to the Lord. But sometimes we get, we get caught in that stuff. And everybody has traditions and everybody has rituals, right? Our church has them as much as anyone else. Now, ours may not look the same. Um, I'm from a Baptist background. Anybody here from a more Baptist background? All right? You guys are awesome, just like me, huh? Anybody from like a Presbyterian or a Catholic or something like that background? All right, we've got some of those folks here. Those are kind of the people we think about in the church when we think ritual. You know, we've got incense and robes and, you know, a lot of things really carved out. Um, anybody from like a Pentecostal background? They got a couple. Thank God, somebody here. All right. So, when I was in high school, I was I was I was a Baptist before I was a Christian. And I was born and raised in the Baptist church. Loved it. You know, the Lord used it to to teach me and to grow me. And you know, we are a Baptist church here. I'm just letting you know. Um, and as I got in high school, I, the Lord um, gave me the opportunity to help lead a youth um, club thing at school. And basically, all the kids that came to this thing were from one of two churches. My church that I grew up in, New Hope Baptist Church, and then um, the first, well, what were they called? Um, oh, I'm having a First Assembly of God. Florida's, ooh, 
Throw my pen. Florida's first assembly of God. I don't know if that's true, if it was really Florida's first assembly of God, um, or if they just called themselves that. Because if it is, it's pretty epic, but Wachula is not usually where you put firsts. They were Pentecostal. We were not. And um, it was just really neat coming together and worshiping with these guys. And they were really weird, and their youth group met on Tuesdays, and my youth group met on Wednesdays. And so I was able to, to participate in both of those things. And it was such an awesome time to get together and, and see different denominations worship the Lord. And both of them had traditions, right? Both of them had rituals. And, and me and my buddy, uh-oh, Stephen, um, my buddy Dart, he was, he was a really active member in, in the uh, First Assembly's church. And he and I would sit and we would just kind of contrast each other and we would talk about what we wished. Kind of like I talked about today. My youth group would not sing to save their lives unless it had like these like hand motions and stuff in it, right? They would do that, but that was the end. So you had to come up with something. That was ridiculous. You know, whereas Dart's church, they w- you couldn't shut them up. I mean, they were always singing, raising their hands. and I mean, it was, it was powerful, but it was, a, it was a ritual thing, you know? And then he and I would talk about how his, his uh, youth group and the peers that he had, he felt like they really lacked um, knowledge of the Bible or even a, a desire to really dig into the Word. In our youth group, we had that. And it was just, and again, it's just looking at these different backgrounds and these different, you know, and this is going to change from one individual church to another, so don't, don't hear me painting with too broad of a brush, but everybody has those things. So us as Heritage, who we may not have robes and, and, and things that we put in our heads when we think about tradition, we all have tradition, we all have rituals, and those can be a very good thing again, but God wants us to have those rituals point to Him and the truth. And then the thing with rituals is, in a church setting is they take place usually on Sunday mornings, right? Well, now it's time for that to point. Those rituals need to point to us doing stuff outside of these buildings throughout the week, right? That's where we see. These guys are doing what they... They're trying to do what they think they can to be close to the Lord. And He says, okay... But you're not taking care of the vulnerable. So, where do we go from here? I think there's a couple of things that we can see, especially when we look at at God's version of what their fasts ought to be. Right? This this vulnerable stuff. Um, I got to talk, or I got to look at some of the resources from the folks up at Capstone. And Walt Tanner, who's the pastor there, when he was talking about kind of this section of Scripture. He says sometimes, talking about this balanced view um, and an accurate view of being a Christian, he said he feels a lot of Christians come into the faith thinking that it's going to be kind of like playing a game of Candyland. You know, everything's going to be awesome and sunshine and you're picking cotton candy and everything's great. And as most of you guys know, here at Heritage, we're doing everything we can to to crush that. You know, I regularly say, you're going to die, right? And it's just the facts. It's the truth. You know, we're, we're not going to live forever here on this earth like we are now. And if we can um, come to, to grips with that and we realize like we are eternal and He's given us eternal things to care about, then we're going to live a little bit differently while we're here. right? We're going to take a little more advantage and that's going to impact some stuff, 
hopefully. Um, so, again, if you, if you have just that view, that things are going to be awesome and Candyland-like, then it's going to be very easy for you to get crushed because as we get older, you know, most of us start to see and realize the world is, is a mean place. Uh, sin is rampant. There's deep wounds and a lot of pain. And if you were blessed to have kind of a, um, a more ideal upbringing, you didn't really realize that as bad when you were younger. And as you get older, you see more pain and more hurt, and you've got to begin to come to grips with that. Uh, unfortunately, some of you weren't blessed, and you were introduced to how mean and cruel and dark the world is as a young one, and that's sad. But as we live, we all start to see that, right? And so Walt, he says, instead of seeing uh, the Christian faith as walking in Candyland and playing Candyland, it ought to be seen more as, as Call of Duty, right? It's, it's graphic. It's rough, you know? And you've got a mission. You as a believer have an objective. And a piece of it we see here in the beginning of Isaiah 58. When Wyatt was little, uh, his godparents, or my kids' godparents, are missionaries, and they, they still are. And he was pretty into superheroes and stuff, and we would sit and we would talk. Um, about Jordan and Brittany being overseas and being missionaries and trying to explain to a two-and-a-half, three-year-old what a missionary was. And forgive me if you hate my, my definition that I taught my kid, but it is what it is. Um, I, I taught it because he wanted to understand. So I said, a missionary fights bad guys and teaches the Bible. That's, that's what a missionary does, right? They're, 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 they're doing this. They're looking to loose the bonds of wickedness, and to undo the, the straps of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke, and to feed the hungry. They're finding where there is sin, and they're meeting it head on. Right? They're, they're dealing with people's spiritual needs, because we are spirit, and we're body. But they're, so they're dealing with both. Right? A missionary deals with the physical needs of, the, of his people, and he deals with the spiritual needs of his people. And you can't neglect one for the other. That's another area of balance. We are an evangelical church here, right? We believe in evangelism. We believe the gospel is the thing that changes people and should be spread, right? And for some of us, it, we're natural evangelists. Um, you know, I, I was eating lunch with a guy years ago, and we're marching through this Panera line, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm like, yeah, the cafeteria, just get me out, get me through. And this guy walks up and he, he just seemed like such a goober to me. And he's like, can I pray for you? And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what are you doing? You don't even know this girl, you know? And she starts weeping. And I'm like, what? You know, I don't even want to make eye contact. I'm just trying to slip through. She's crying. And she's like, oh my gosh, you have no idea how badly I need this. And I'm, I'm sitting there looking like a moron, like, oh my God, you know, just waiting. And it was, it was beautiful. It was powerful. He was a natural evangelist. And so for me, it's easy for me to go the other way. I'm going to take care of physical needs. You need someone to hang sheetrock? Done. You need someone to finish sheetrock? It's going to be ugly, but done. Right? Tile? What? I mean, sure, I'll help you. That is up my alley. All right? But just to walk up to a random stranger and be like, hey, you need a little Jesus? Uh, uh, no. How about that? We have to have 
some balance in that, right? God calls us to meet the physical needs of people because we are flesh and to meet the spiritual needs of people because we are spirit as well. We are a unity of those things. And so for me to explain to my little kid what a missionary is, they fight bad guys. They take care of physical needs and they teach the Bible. They take care of people's spirits. And we can't say it enough. If you are in this room and if you are a believer, you are in fact by definition, a missionary. Your job is to fight bad guys, to free the oppressed, to protect the vulnerable, and to meet people's spiritual needs, despite whichever one of those directions is more comfortable to you. And you may need to pay a little more attention to the one where you're weaker in. You need to be fighting bad guys and teaching the Bible. Jeremy and I got to have a quick conversation this morning and we talk a lot about the Great Commission around here, and you guys have all heard this. We hear it, we talk about it all the time. Go and make disciples. And a lot of us have grown up with the understanding that it meant, all right, you're sitting around, hanging out, chilling, we'll get up and go make a disciple. That's good, do that, right? I'm pro. But the context specifically there seems to say, as you're going through life, make disciples. As, like, there's no excuse to not do it. You don't have to pack up a coffin and get on a boat and go overseas like we saw some great missionaries do back in the day. right? When you go into the grocery store, use that for the Gospel to make disciples. When you're going to work, where you live, work, and play, all the, the, make disciples. Look, just like Jacob was, at, was talking about this morning during prayer, God's giving you opportunities. Again, the Scripture says the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that He'll send laborers into the harvest. That's you guys, right? You're missionaries. You also hear us say all the time that it's our job as elders to equip the saints to do the work of the mission, to do the work of the, the ministry. You are ministers of the gospel, and we want to make sure as a people we don't neglect that mission for just some Sunday morning stuff. It's not that we don't want you to come. Definitely not. We like you, right? We love you. We want you to come. We want you to hang out. But this, this is not the end. This is, not the, this is a place to be trained, to be equipped, to get out of here and go make disciples. That is, and if you're not doing that, you're lopsided. Right? Let's not do that. We see throughout the Old Testament that God has always been about the vulnerable. It's easy, and you'll hear people say, and we've all probably said it to some extent or another, that there's two gods, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament was big and scary, and the God of the New Testament is lovey. Well, when we think that way, we're, we're just wrong, right? God's the same. He doesn't change. So we see in Psalms 68, Psalm 68.5, uh, Father of the fatherless and protector of the widows. And God, in His holy habitation right he is he says all right you don't have a dad you don't have a family yeah you do you've got me this is old testament proverbs 31 8 through 9 speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves for the rights of all who are destitute speak up and judge fairly defend the rights of the poor and needy jeremiah 22 3 Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness 
and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Deuteronomy 27.19 Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow, and all the people shall say amen. And then Proverbs 14.31 Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. God's always been about meeting the needs of those who have physical needs. Next week is Stand Sunday. Uh, it's, when we, it's, it's one of the two times a year minimum that we talk about the need for foster care, for adoption, um, to be there for the functionally fatherless. It's an important thing. It's a heartbeat of this church. And one of our simple challenges for everyone here, again, who's a believer, how are you going to get involved? Right? Not everyone's going to be called to foster a kid or to adopt a kid. I don't want to steal John's thunder. Right? But you, if you're a believer, are called to get involved. Right? I mean, Jesus just said it. We just saw it a bunch in the Old Testament. And I'm not even touching the New Testament verses. Maybe John will do that next week. Right? That's a way that we as this congregation have decided we're going to meet a need for the vulnerable. I encourage you to jump on that. So, all right, that's a piece of this mission. What else is a piece of this mission? We are called to grow spiritually. We're called to um, we're called to bear fruit. One of the things that we talked about last week as we finished up our, our fruit of the spirit series is we talked about freedom. Right? God has set us free for freedom's sake. If we're going to go into the world and we're going to free people from yokes, if we're going to loosen the bonds of slavery, if we're going to free people, you have to be free. Right? It's hard for a person who's entrapped in their own addictions, in their own um, sin, in their own slavery, to go and free those who are stuck. Right? There's no condemnation. We said that last week for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, for those of us who are believers who are finding ourselves ensnared to our sins, whatever they are, addictions, anger, um, lust, you name it. If you're a believer and you find yourself there, it's because you are allowing yourself to be enslaved. Because God says that He's working that out. Right? He's taking care of that. He has set us free, but we have to live in that freedom. And once we do that, then we're going to be more effective in our actual ministry of setting captives free and seeing the lost be saved. One of the things that you got, you know, as a warning that I think we can see in this, this text goes back again to something we talked about last week as far as bitterness. When they respond, when the people here in Isaiah respond to God, they said that we fasted. We're doing the work. We've humbled ourselves, but you haven't taken any knowledge of it. Again, I just want to, to warn all of us, if we find ourselves comparing ourselves to other people, 
if we find ourselves becoming bitter because of the blessings that other people have, then, then, then that's, that's a warning. That's a, that's a legitimate warning sign that we are not, um, we're not pursuing the Lord in this thing quite like we should. All right, now I'm working through a study with a, a couple friends of mine um, through Timothy Keller's Prodigal God. So, of course, in there, he, he tells the story of the prodigal son, and he starts to uh, march through that. And so for all of us Christian folks who come to churches on Sunday morning, we have a, a, a propensity to get caught up in our, um, in our rituals. So he goes, he, he tells the story of the prodigal son, and then he starts marching through it. Um, I'm just going to read part of it, a pretty good chunk of it. As you, if, you, if you're familiar with the story, there's a dad, there's a younger son, there's an older son. Younger son comes to the dad who is not dead yet and says, hey, I want my inheritance because I'm, I'm done. So he gives it to him. He runs out, he squanders it all on a bunch of bad stuff. All sinful and whatnot, right? He finds himself eating out of a pig trough, which was a big no-no and really, really bad. He says, okay, I'd be better off as a servant for my dad than being out here doing this. So he goes home. He's working on his speech to tell a dad how terrible he is and how bad he is. And God just, or not God, dad, just let me be a servant here. That would be great. Um, just, I don't want to be out there anymore eating from pigs. The dad sees him. The dad represents God. He runs down there, doesn't even let him get the speech out of his mouth, hugs him, says, give this kid a ring, give him a robe, kill the fat calf. We're having a party. My son who was gone is back. Right? For most of us, that's kind of where we let the story end. It's a beautiful picture. Well, then the story kind of ends with this section talking about the older son. Now, his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fatted calf. Because he, was, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, yours comes who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to his son, You are always with me, and all this is mine, all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad, for your brother who was dead is alive. He was lost and he's found. Timothy Keller argues that that's the actual point of the story. Not that all the other stuff that we learn from the younger son isn't significant and important. Because he says if you, if you wind back to the beginning of that section of Scripture, um, which is uh, chapter 15, it says that now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him, hear Jesus. And then this is the kicker, verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes, scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. He says, Timothy Keller says that that whole point of that parable is with the end. They're the older brother, right? And he says when it comes to us and our relationship with sin, there's only two options. You're either an older brother or you're a younger brother. 
or you just ping pong between the two. There's not a third actual category. And it would behoove you as a believer to figure out which one of those you land in. Today's sermon specifically is for those of us, which include me, who are older brothers, who dabble in the self-righteousness. Right? We have to be cautious and careful. And it's very convicting when we look at that section of Scripture when he says, when the dad and the older son are talking, he says, I've done everything that you've told me. I haven't broken any of your rules, any of your commands. The dad doesn't say, yeah, you did. Remember this, this, this. He doesn't argue that. Again, makes me think he's probably telling the truth. But what that tells us is it is possible for us as believers to think we're being obedient and to actually obey even a lot of what the Lord calls us to do, but we're missing the heart behind it. That's a scary thing. That's a tough thing to really wrap our minds around. But we, we've got to be careful. We've got to start to really ask ourselves, do we tend to be an older brother? Do we tend to be a younger brother? And if we bounce around, where are you at right now? Right? Because that's what the older brother did. He looks at the younger brother. He makes that comparison. I'm doing everything. And then Timothy Keller argues, the problem is, Both of them wanted the same thing. They were both sinful. They both wanted the stuff that the father had. The younger brother says, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. I'm out of here. The younger brother says, I don't really care about you, but I want your stuff. So I'm going to be good. But at the end of the day, they both wanted the stuff that the father had, not the father himself. And most of us who are believers have come to some sort of grasp of our own sin. And it's easy for those of us who are older brothers to say, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to try to be good, I'm going to try to read my Bible, not because of a relationship and a love for the Father, but because we want to make ourselves feel better. Again, that's why I use the word self-righteous. But I don't mean that in the, again, the trying to be mean and nasty, ah, you're just so self-righteous, you don't believe in dancing or whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. We're trying to make ourselves righteous. And we've decided the best means for us to do that as older brothers is to be really, really good. Which is why we can condemn ourselves so well too when we screw up. Because we we didn't meet that thing. But going back to what we talked about last week, when we live in that kind of lifestyle, we are not... Last week we talked about circumcision. And in that context in Galatians, he says, the cross, Jesus, does you no good. If you're choosing to live under law and live under circumcision. It's a very similar picture here. If we're living like an older brother in this parable, we're trying to justify ourselves, we're trying to make ourselves righteous, but we're doing it by trying to listen to Jesus. And the problem there is it ain't going to happen. It's not going to work. That's why last week was fruit of the Spirit, not fruit of you. Right? So to end, the third piece of this mission, at least that we have as believers, uh, referenced earlier, we're evangelical. I, I put a, a really good article up on our Facebook a couple nights ago talking about why are we Christians, why are we Protestant, and why are we evangelical? We believe that people need the gospel, and we believe that God has made his people, us, the primary means for that gospel to be communicated, both by word and by deed. 
right? So we need to be looking for chances to be hospitable. We need to be looking for opportunities to display the gospel, again, in the way we speak, things that we say, and in our actions. Since Jeremy's not here, I can brag on him. Just don't tell him I said this, right? Why is Jeremy a firefighter and not a full-time preacher? He started this thing after all. It'd be easy enough to do it. Well, he's convict, convicted and convinced of this silly idea that he needs to be hanging out with hurt people and lost people. And when he's at a fire department, he's living in a small room with people. And uh, some are believers and some aren't, which again, I think when Isaiah says not to neglect your own flesh, it's probably what he's referring to. We need to be ministering to two kinds of people, the lost and the saved. We all need the gospel. We need to be reminded of it regularly, right? So Jeremy decides to go live with a bunch of dudes for uh, 48 hours or whatever it is straight in a little room to minister to those there who are saved and those there who are lost, and then to go help people who are physically hurt, right? If a firefighter shows up at your house, it ain't good, right? Something bad has happened. Something's on fire. Somebody is injured. Somebody is dying. I mean, it's, it's not pleasant, Right? He's choosing to live that life because he feels like that's what God wants. And it looks like he's probably right. You know what I'm saying? And it's very, very easy to overlook the opportunities that God puts in our lives. And if you find yourself there, it's not necessarily a bad thing to throw yourself into some of that. Open your home. Go hang out with somebody who's messed up. Right? Go mentor a kid. There's a million ways. If you just don't know, just go hang out with some folks and ask God to show you there's people who need to be ministered to. Believers, non-believers. There's hurt folks everywhere. Right? So we, as evangelicals, we believe people need the Gospel. We, need, we believe we need to show it and we need to speak it. We can look for opportunities and we can set ourselves up in opportunities where we can put the Gospel on display. Hang out with folks. Join a life group. There's a reason for it. Be in community with people, and then you might know where people have needs. Gives you a place to stand in the void where someone is vulnerable, right? So, this is, uh, this is basically the end of, of, of the sermon. I'm excited to see where we go for the rest of this year. I'm excited to see how the Lord helps teach us through Isaiah 58 and as we hopefully pursue to become a little more balanced in our Christianity. Um, I encourage you guys to pray about serving the vulnerable. As we come in here next week and we participate in Stand Sunday and we look at um, what it means to, to take care of those who are vulnerable, um, I encourage you to ask God, where do you step in? Because to not step in, you're, you're going to have to come up with a pretty sweet excuse to convince me or anybody that, that you, eh, it's not for me, it's not my cup of tea. Um, and that's even a challenge for those of you who have been in a fatherless place or are in one. Uh, it's, it's still a call. If you're a believer, if you call yourself a Christian, you still have a responsibility to meet the needs of the vulnerable. I'm going to end with a... Uh, a little poem 
which I'm not much of a poem guy, believe it or not. Um, and I'm also not uh, Scottish, if you couldn't tell. But this is a, a Scottish Psalter. And it is, it is based off of what we talked about today, and particularly um, Isaiah 58, 5-8. It says, Let us all feel oppression's load, thy tender pity share. And let the helpless, homeless poor be thy peculiar care. Go bid the hungry orphan be with thy abundance blessed. Invite the wanderer to thy gate and spread the couch of rest. Remember, we talked about that last week or two weeks ago. Our presence should be restful. That has stuck with me. Let him who pines with piercing cold by thee be warmed and clad. By thine the blissful task to make the downcast mourner glad. Then bright as morning shall come forth in peace and joy thy days and glory from the Lord above shall shine on all thy ways. That should be your anthem if you're a believer. God, thank you so much for dealing with us the way you dealt with these folks here in Isaiah. That when we seek you earnestly and truthfully, like I believe these folks did, you didn't just leave them in their sin, but you sent a prophet to help them. You sent somebody to come to say, you're doing all right, but this is what you're missing. God, thank You for still being in that business. That if we are faithful and we follow You, that when we make mistakes, when we're blinded or nearsighted, You don't leave us that way. You give us Your Word. You give us peers and friends and uh, spiritual mentors. And You give us the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and to convict us. God, let this be um, a time of excitement to know that we have a purpose, that we have a mission, that You've sent us here to be Your hands and Your feet and to spread Your Gospel with our mouths and our actions, and that You aren't finished with us, that we have something to do and a task at hand. God, help us to be excited about that. Help us to be filled with joy, and an eagerness to see that come to fruition. God, give us open eyes this week as You show us where You're on the move. Help us to understand and to realize that we have influence over people, our employees, our children, our friends, and that we are to treat them in a way that shows the loving, shepherding Gospel in the way we deal with them. We love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.